It's Monday, and it's the last Monday in February. This is a world audience podcast about anything and everything. Weather, science, earth science, and a whole lot more. I'm your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Bernier. I am the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio, and this is episode number 301. Again, it's Monday. And it's the last Monday in February. We flip our calendars over to a brand new month. In like a lion, out like a lamb, or in like a lamb, out like a lion. What will it be for your backyard? That's kind of an interesting little saying. Typically, the roles or the weather pattern reverses from the beginning of the month to the end of the month, which is, in fact, the genesis of that particular saying And so it all depends where you are as to what you'll see. Now, overall, the weather pattern is fairly quiet, and uh, we're looking at kind of a cold, quiet period. So I guess if you turn that on its head, at least for the Ohio Valley, that we're looking at a cold, quiet start, but maybe a wild but mild finish. We'll have to wait and see how that pans out. Well, coming up in just a little bit, we're going to wrap up our conversation that we began on Friday with Jeroen Nuenhove, who is a photographer who now lives in Iceland, originally from Belgium, and we'll talk a little bit more about his experience at the Fagradalsviak volcano eruption that began last March and lasted for many, many months. But before we do that, I wanted to take a quick time out here. I know this is episode number 301. However, if you remember, on Friday I did mention that I received a mystery audio file, an MP3 file, of a young man who put together for us a wonderful voiceover, a stinger, celebrating the fact that we had hit our 300th episode. But I didn't know anything more about him other than his email address. So I waited until I heard a little bit more information, got a little more information. His name is Jameson Shaban, and he is from Big Sandy, West Virginia, which is probably not too far from Bluefield. It's a little bit northwest. It's a wonderful little town. And so we have a listener from the Bluefield area, Big Sandy, West Virginia. Now, I know that we are at episode number 301, but this was so tastefully and delightfully done that I took his voiceover and spiced it up a little bit and and made a stinger out of it that was supposed to have aired on Friday. But again, I didn't have enough information. I really wanted to be able to tell all of you who this was and how it all came about. Again, Jameson is 12 years old. He's from Big Sandy, West Virginia, 
and he wanted to help us to celebrate last Friday. And so let me play that stinger for you right now, the one that we produced for Friday, and let's celebrate all over again. Jameson, take it away. Since this podcast started, Weather Chaz is now at its 300th episode. And why not kick it off with some open line Friday? Who will it be this week? We'll find out. And now, here's Andre. Isn't that absolutely fantastic? Well, Jameson, you have your marching orders because when we begin to approach episode number 400, I hope to hear from you again and will include your celebration for us as we continually hit these landmarks as we go deeper and deeper into weather jazz history. All right, when we come back, we're going to finish up with our conversation with Jeroen from the Iceland area and talking about his photography and his great book called New Earth. We'll be right back. What a good time to wrap up the month of February with our conversation with Jeroen, a Belgian photographer who now lives in Iceland, who chronicled the Fagradalsviak volcano beginning last March and evolving through its life cycle, which took us several months into the summer months. You managed to get very, very close to... The lava itself, right? At one point, you were a feet away from the lava. And I, I guess people need to understand that the lava doesn't flow or gush like water does. It's fluid, but it goes very slowly. So you have a chance to kind of position yourself, take pictures, move if you have to, that kind of a thing. You, How close were you to the actual lava? Well, um I've been at times, I've been so close that if I would have uh, stuck out my hand, I w- it would be in the lava. Wow. Uh, so I would say maybe less than a meter. This mm-hmm. wasn't always possible. Like it right. really depended on on a lot of factors, like how much winter was, for example, and mm-hmm. what direction the wind was blowing in. And if the wind was in your back, you could stand very close because the heat would just be pushed away. Mm-hmm. Um but most of the time that would not be possible. Uh, so, but sometimes it was, and then, uh, it's like the lava, it's kind of interesting, um, in terms of, uh, viscosity, because when it exits the crater, it's still 1,200, 1,250 degrees uh, Celsius, um, in heat. And then it's really, really liquid. Mm-hmm. And when you see it flow out of the crater, it moves almost like water. And especially mm-hmm. if it uh, descends down a hill mm-hmm. uh, with that temperature, it's almost gushing like water. Wow. Uh, but soon after, like when you go further away, it starts moving more slowly because it's solidifying, it's cooling down. And um, you could see like these different phases, like when you're at the, the edge of the lava field and it's... Uh, slowly bulldozing its way forward it's kind of like like you have a bag of hot coals or something that's uh, going forward and it kind of makes that sound Uh, but Ah. then when you go further towards the the origin it would be much more liquid Uh, sometimes it's like a little crust on top of it so you would see it move like the crust would be moving 
uh, forward with the lava. And yeah, it's very interesting to see uh, because I've never seen anything like this. I mm. can't compare it to anything I know. Uh, it's maybe like the closest resemblance would be like a like a pudding, and you have like this little uh, <laughs> skin on the top. Okay. Uh, like that would be like a, mm-hmm. a description that would fit it. And but it's very interesting to see it. Yeah. The sound that I heard from some of the feeds, and and I think it came from the uh, uh, grapevine, uh, the Reykjavik grapevine, they had uh, a microphone very close to one of those places where you describe as, as, you know, the top of the pudding, the skin just kind of moving, and it sounded like glass, shards of glass breaking. And uh, That's kind of what it is. Wow. And that probably uh, talks to the composition of the lava, which is a a lot of silica, which which would be one of the components of glass. So it makes sense that it would sound like glass breaking. Yeah, I I find that um, it's like, yeah, to me, it sounds most like a bag of coals that you Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. when you pour it into your barbecue, it also okay. has this kind of glass-like yeah. sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of different sounds because you have uh, you have this sound specifically. But then when it is more liquid, uh, mm-hmm. it sounds a lot like the ocean. Oh, okay. uh, to me, to me, it sounds like the ocean that's like um, uh, slamming into uh, a cliffside, for example. Mm-hmm. Sounds a lot like that. Wow. And it's very interesting to, yeah, because before, uh, um, before I went there, I had actually never heard mm-hmm. lava. Like I had no idea what this sounded like. And you always imagine this very explosive, uh, sound because mm-hmm. eruptions, volcanoes exploding, but that's not at all what it's like. Not with this kind of eruption. It's very, mm-hmm. yeah. It's to me most uh, water kind of. Well, I want to talk uh, about your book, New Earth, in two respects. And my first question is, I noticed that with every photograph that was featured, and by the way, the the reproduction, whoever did your your printing really did a phenomenal job at at, uh, capturing the nuances of your photos. But you helped a lot of photographers by telling uh, them the very specifics of every photograph, uh, what your f-stop was, what your speed was, what the ISO was. Uh, That was obviously intentional so that other photographers would benefit from all of the settings that you used here. Yeah, this is something uh, before... I did the book, uh, was going back and forth on this uh, a lot. I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if this would be beneficial because I personally, uh, yeah, I don't really see for me personally, the benefit of seeing someone's settings doesn't really, mm-hmm. it's not there. Um, but I understand a lot of people find it very helpful because especially with something like this, because it's a very, uh, it's a very unique thing. Like you're, right not just photographing a landscape, but you're photographing a landscape that's emitting light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's something that makes it very challenging. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because uh, like uh, one of the photos I, I t- talk a lot about is uh, the photo of the Northern Lights above the eruption. Right. Uh, yeah. That's some one that's uh, especially difficult because of you have this uh, light source at the bottom, and then you have a, a much weaker light source in the sky, mm-hmm. and it's very challenging to to capture that. And that's why I decided to add uh, settings. Mm-hmm. Um, not only because of that, uh, be, but also to show that the photographs that I make are one exposure. Uh, like I did them all in the camera. I didn't uh, blend any exposures together afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it's very important to do as much as I can in camera because I feel that's uh, yeah, I don't like spending time behind the computer editing my photos. So the the longer I can be in the field and trying to get my shots right is yeah much more valuable to me. It was uh, all of your shots were organic, fully organic. None of them were manipulated. No, then. no. Wow, wow. That's something I, I don't like doing. Like to mm-hmm. me, a good photograph makes, uh, first of all, a good photograph uh is a good photograph because of a good story behind it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when you digitally manipulate the photo or you add stuff to it, you don't have a story. You just have the story of you sitting behind the computer and making something up out of your imagination, which is also an art in itself, of course. uh, But it's not, to me, it's not photography. Uh, Photography Mm -hmm. is being outside, uh, in the moment and capturing what you saw rather than capturing what you dreamt of seeing. And it's more than just a coffee table book of photographs of the eruption because your writing style also, which is what I left you on the, uh, you know, in your website book review. And I will, by the way, provide a link for anybody listening uh, to weather jazz or watching uh, the video log, uh, we will provide a link, weatherjazz.com, both episodes number 300 and 301. This will be a two-part series uh, because uh, certainly the the, uh, the content is going to be so rich that uh, I, I see this as splitting up into, into two parts. So, it's not only that coffee table book of photographs, but also you wrote the book in such a way that grabs the reader and pulls them into the, this whole journey. Uh, you wrote it in a what I would consider a journal style book because every day was a little different, but you painted such a a very definitive picture with every single day, what the nuances were that you literally, it, it was like walking with you to the eruption site every time you went. Uh, is that a style that's uh, very comfortable for you or is that something that developed because of the book? Yeah, I, I like, uh, so I've never written a book before, but mm-hmm. I have written uh, many blogs uh, on my own website uh, before. And I find it's uh, like what I referred to before is um, it's very important for people to appreciate the photo, uh, but also appreciate the story behind the photo. And I find that uh, these days, in these times of social media and 
people churning out content, uh, like there's some kind of content factory. I think it's very important uh, for people to understand how much effort goes into making these photographs and how mm -hmm. important it is to understand why certain photographs are significant instead of just um, looking at something and thinking, oh, wow, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Like I want mm -hmm. people to uh, to kind of be in my position and understand what I went through to be able to capture uh, this photograph. And I think that's why I decided to kind of paint the, the story of uh, what it was like to be there. Um, and additionally, I think uh, when I started this book, I did a lot of research into other books about eruptions. And one of the things that was uh, uh, like why I did that was to uh, understand what I didn't want to do. Mm -hmm. uh, like I wanted to find out what I didn't like um, so I could do what I really liked. Ah, very and good. One of, one of the things that I don't like about these uh, eruption-focused uh, books is that they always talk about uh, endlessly about the geology behind it. Mm -hmm. And of course, it's a very this is a very interesting topic, but I thought it would be much more interesting to tell a story about what it was like to be there and what it was like to stand next to it and mm -hmm. see this evolve and what an impact it left on me as a, as a person. And I thought that was something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to tell that story and not be the next in line for another geology book. <laughs> well, you <laughs> certainly succeeded in that because as I mentioned to you, uh, both personally and also the review I left, I did not want this book to end, uh, really. It, it was like, yeah. oh, the eruption is settling down now because you took us through the sequence of, of events. Um, one more interesting um, aspect of your book is the fact that after you had pretty much exhausted all of your bucket list shots, then you you went into a new mode, and that new mode was... What shots haven't I taken? What angle, what aspect of this eruption has not been captured on video, which I find fascinating. And really, I mean, you were exhaustive in the, the way that you snapped photographs. It, it wasn't your typical shots, which really with a book like this are needed. But you searched for, for unique ways to capture this eruption. Yeah, I thought I was. Yeah, I thought it was important because, um, like, I think it's very important to understand how unique this eruption was. Mm -hmm. Like we we've talked about it before. Usually, it's not possible to stand next to it. It's certainly not possible to sit next to it and have lunch or play volleyball like some some Icelanders have been doing. Uh, like these are things that are, yeah. This was mm -hmm. not possible. This might not ever be possible again. Um, mm. This is so unique in that respect that I thought it was important to try things that I might never in my lifetime be able to try again. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. one of the things that I was doing, uh, for example, was I flew over the lava field back and forth with my drone, mm -hmm. uh, trying to find patterns in the lava. Um, uh, kind of like uh, you were looking at 
clouds and you're trying to find like uh, right, like right. shapes of animals. Yes. Yeah. That, that's kind of what I was trying to do because at some point I had seen that, uh, uh, like I'd seen like a, a head of something mm-hmm. or like mm-hmm. two eyes and a mouth and I thought it was interesting. So I tried to yeah. see what was, what else was there. And then I photographed, uh, like, a. Some people think it's like the the claw of a of a lobster, like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to me, it's a dragon's head uh, from the way that I photographed it. And I thought this was important uh, to me, at least, to do something totally different and do something that nobody else was doing, uh, because that's something that yeah, I was in a in a weird place when when this eruption. Uh, started and uh, because of I was in a place where I was being bothered by uh, how much of the same photographs you see all the time on social mm-hmm. media, for example. And then um, to take like a really uh, good example is uh, there's this mountain Kirkufet in the west of Iceland. Yes, it's yeah. like a, a pointy shaped photographed mountain. one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody goes there and they always take the same photograph from the same angle on a different time of the day, on a different day, right. but it always looks, it always looks the same. And you can find thousands, if not millions uh, mm-hmm. of variations on the same photo. And this is something that was, yeah, I don't know. It bothered me in the sense that uh, I think it's important to be there and look around and take it in what you're photographing so you can yeah, find new angles and see things maybe from a different angle than you would normally look at. And that's what I was trying to do, like to do something different and yeah, to not be the next in line to, mm-hmm. to copy shot after shot after shot because who wants to see that? Right. Well, you have one photograph in particular that <laughs> always comes to mind when I think of your photography and it goes beyond your your eruption uh, photographs from New Earth and that is the photograph of the puffin with what looked like four or five fish. Yeah. I mean, strategically placed right in its beak and uh, that was an amazing photograph. Yeah, I really like that one. Uh, I... I think the one you're referring to, I did this summer yes, uh, mm-hmm. or last summer. And it's one of the reasons why I spent, uh, I spent five days photographing uh, puffins because mm-hmm. I, yeah, I hadn't really spent much time photographing them. And yeah, this is something that I didn't want to come home without having a photo like that. Um, but I wanted to have it, um, not just a photo, but have it really close up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would really see like the, the beautiful texture on the on the beak and the colors and the fish it had. Yeah, I think it's I mean, certainly not the, the most unique one, uh, but it's yeah. For me, it's also a really uh, important photograph for me personally. Yeah. You um, also recently spent some time in. I'm trying to think of the name of the island way up north, uh, right along the yeah. Arctic Circle. Uh, you can only Grimsey. Yeah, um, and uh, I, I still have it burned in in my memory. 
you had your your phone low looking up and the birds were just circling your head (laughs) apparently lots of birds there how in the world do they get in and out of that airport with so many birds near that airport that's actually uh, it's a really good question it's one that i asked uh, when i went there because i couldn't for the life of me understand Mm-hmm. Um, how this would go because the airstrip itself is filled with thousands and thousands of these birds. So these wow. are the birds you're referring to. They're Arctic terns mm-hmm. uh, and they're very protective of their nests. And on a small oh. island like that, you're mm-hmm. always near a nest. It's impossible to not be near a nest. Uh, but what they do is they take a car and then they drive up and down the airstrip twice before <laughs> the plane comes. Oh my goodness. So they can, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, kind of crazy when they do this because thousands of birds all of a sudden like this they they uh, swoop up and they start uh, like yeah, screaming wow. all over the place and this is some, a sound that you can hear on the other side of the island wow, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty impressive to see it uh, probably not the most animal friendly but it's uh, it's very impressive and it's easy to see why you fell in love with Iceland. I know I did and uh, been there four times. Hope to make it a fifth this summer and perhaps we could meet for a coffee at Cafe Loki or something. Uh, yeah, one of my good. favorite places. And uh, we can continue the conversation actually face to face for maybe a future episode of, of uh, Weather Jazz. Jeroen, uh, thank you tak, tak, uh, uh, for your time. Uh, today and tell us very quickly how people can get your book we're going to provide some links on weatherjazz.com can you order the book from uh, jvn.photo yeah you can order it on my website uh, mm-hmm. by going to jvn.photo slash new earth mm-hmm. uh, and then it's also available um, in bookstores here in Iceland at the airport and ah, also okay. on the uh, web store of Reykjavik Grapevine. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, yeah that's. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that they included your book in in their uh, in their package. So that, that's. Yeah, uh, I'm also happy about that. Yeah, absolutely. What a delight! Uh, I look forward to uh, maybe even this summer having the opportunity the opportunity to meet you. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for your photographs, what you do on Instagram. I'll provide a link on both episodes, number 300 and 301 uh, of your Instagram account uh, so that people can can follow your work. It's uh, truly remarkable. Thank you for sharing your talent, your God-given talent uh, with everyone. Uh, you've got a wonderful eye and, and uh, thanks for the book too. I uh, really appreciate you putting so much effort into sharing your experience. Thank you for having me. Thank you for your kind words. What a delightful gentleman. What a wonderful conversation. And the book is truly outstanding. As I wrote in a review on his website, I did not want that book to end because it was so interesting, written in a truly phenomenal fashion that draws you in as the reader, almost as if you are hiking with him every time he went up there to snap some pictures 
of the Iceland erupting volcano, better known as Fagradalsfjall. And believe me, it took me a long time to be able to say that anywhere close to its correct pronunciation. So don't worry about it. Uh, Keep practicing and it will come honest. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Remember that Science Wednesday is coming around and we have been involved in taking a look at solar system objects. Now, the next one should have been Earth. We did Mercury two weeks ago. We did Venus last Wednesday. Well, Earth is next, but I want to hold Earth back for perhaps a special guest who can join me to help elaborate on some of the unique properties of Earth. So what I'm going to do on Wednesday, at least what I'm planning right now, is to move ahead to the next solar system object. That would be Mars. Will we find any Martians? What is going on on that red planet known as Mars? We're going to find out. Please join us. We're going to have a lot of fun together. So we'll catch you on Wednesday right here on Weather Jazz. Weather and science across the globe. The Weather Jazz Podcast.